This is the Above Average Podcast and you are listening because you want an above average life. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Above Average Podcast, the podcast where we talk to above average people about their above average lives. Now today I have a friend of mine who I've known for probably about... 10 years 14 years yeah. that's ridiculous <laughs> and i'm old so miss carla jackson welcome to the above average Hello. podcast how are you doing you. yeah not bad fantastic so today we're talking about neurodiversity more mm-hmm. so because um you just start up your own little project I right did. is it a project or is it a business what do you class it as oh well at the moment it's a project mm-hmm. but business eventually Amazing. so how yeah touch words so tell me a bit about um what you're actually doing and why you're doing it Okay, so um, at the moment, I have a project called Diverging Carla. I call myself the Neurodiversity Educator mm-hmm. um, because um, I want to educate people on neurodiversity, um, something that's quite close to my heart. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 23 years old. Yeah. Um, found a lot of struggles, a lot of unique challenges that went with it. Um, found that there wasn't the best resources online um wasn't a great amount of support and yeah. um i really want to change that and i want to be the voice that i wish that i'd had maybe when i was yeah. going through diagnosis so that's the the ethos of what my my project is so at the moment i'm doing a bit of public speaking um mm-hmm. i'm doing a bit of blogging um doing trying to do a little bit of workshops so so yeah that's where i'm so you basically took it all you just hit the ground running with more, more or yeah, less yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, 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 I created my business instagram account like literally like four weeks ago and that was only because i was doing public speaking that you very kindly set me up well you know behind yeah, my back you know we're, <laughs> we're all about sharing here at the above average of course podcast. um so yeah like i literally made it because i was like right well if i'm gonna do this public speaking um people are gonna have to know where to find me and they're gonna have to have an instagram and then so i set it up purely for that purpose and then oh my god like the following i got pretty much overnight don't like don't get me wrong i've got a huge following like i'm not in the thousands 6.7 million (laughs) she's been kylie jenner did you know (laughs) what what, the emo kylie jenner um but but yeah um so and like i said i've only had it up for about maybe a month and the support and the the stories i've heard so far has been quite insane actually yeah so. so tell me a bit about the public speaking because obviously i was there for that so mm. how did it feel to because obviously i've done several talks myself how does it mm. feel doing your first one how did you feel as someone who you know as someone who's never ever done it before mm. or done anything sort of like that how did it how did it feel to do that well for the first sort of two three minutes i thought what the hell am i doing mm-hmm. like what genuinely like what am i doing like i was stood there and i was going oh my god like there's so many people looking at me and i thought what am i like what's gonna happen like am i gonna forget my words um what if i ramble what if i go off, off script which did happen by the way i went completely over time but then i actually got and then decided it. to rinse me halfway through as i did well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about my hairline yeah. didn't you? well yeah, well yeah. if you can't rinse your friends then well yeah friends exactly. that's, that's um true. so but yeah, no, it's like amazing. I mean, if there's anything I like to do is talk, like having done it in front of what, 25, 26 people mm-hmm. that were there. But oh my God, like I absolutely loved doing it. Like I, I got at the end of it and I was just like, oh my God, I want to do, I want to do this all the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> so. well that's, the, that's the thing though. So obviously with having ADHD and that, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where people always say like, oh, like um, I would run out of things to say. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's big, pe- most people's yeah. biggest worry when they go on stage is I'm going to run out of things to say, I'm, I'm going to forget my lines or whatever, yeah. right? With ADHD, you don't have that. Do no, you? It's no, kind of like, people don't understand, like one of my favorite speakers is a guy called Owen Coogan. He has mm-hmm. um, some form of, he believes he has some form of autism. He's never got checked, yeah. but basically he can, he goes with like one quote and he'll do yeah. like a, 
a three-hour seminar based mm. off this one thing and he'll just riff because yeah. he d- has no concept of time yeah. <laughs> and, he, and his brain just goes yeah, in overload. But right. what he says and what you said at your talk mm. makes sense. It's yeah. not just ramblings. It was stuff that is almost like most people could not connect those dots as yeah. well as some of the... Like yeah. you think ADHD and you think, oh, scatter brain, everything's everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. when you get them focused on a specific mm. thing, yes. mm-hmm. it's like they are a master in their yeah. field so i want to talk a little bit about your sort of experience okay. with ADHD and your and your diagnosis can you yeah. t- take, take me back through uh i thought let's start at like sort of school time did you notice right. anything when you were in school like growing up what was school like for for you so funnily enough i'd say the first sort of eight years of my life were very very bright like i did not have an inkling that i had anything wrong with me like yeah. i knew that i was quote, different. Quote, wrong <laughs> for those <laughs> listening quote, quote, wrong yeah <laughs> um i had um yeah, I, w- I was always told that there was something different about me mm-hmm. by family members, but it wasn't different as in like a bad way. Um, so I think I said at my talk that there was something called Mensa, which for those who don't know is a high IQ society. It's still going now, but um, it became very prominent sort of in the early 2000s. Um, so, um, which is basically if you were in like the top 1% of IQ in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have an above average IQ, you could join Mensa. I see what you did there. Yeah, above mean? average yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that was totally in. unintentional but you know if the booth fits um, and so I remember like in the playground and people would go like it was sort of like the inside joke would be like um, oh like have you heard of Mansa like oh yeah I'm so clever I could join yeah. Mansa like there's a lot of like just weird like banter like that on the playground and then because obviously didn't know I was neurodivergent at the time and we tend to take things literally I was just like oh I'm going to say what this Mansa is and I like went on like this massive 90s computer that my mom and dad had at home and i typed it in and it was like because at the time there was a huge focus on like child prodigies and mm-hmm. like gifted kids yeah, um yeah. i remember doing like the iq test um and to get in it you had to have like 130 iq points i think the average is around 100 to about 115 i think right. um and i remember doing the test and i got 145 and i was just like wow and i was like shit so and i was like so i've I've not only met the criteria for mensa like i'm almost higher you've smashed the criteria yeah yeah (laughs) if you want to call it that but retrospectively at the time i had something called hyperlexia so if you think of dyslexia for example you have uh tend to have struggles with reading with comprehension with spelling with identifying language things like that um back then i had sort of like the the flip side so i was very very gifted in things like language and speaking and mm-hmm. spelling and telling stories like th- there's a picture of me when i'm about 18 months old two two years old and i'm, and I'm reading a newspaper <laughs> I'll, I'll, if, if I can... flipping through the political set. Oh, was, <laughs> yeah. it, was it was it page three or was it actual newspaper <laughs> no, I mean, that's a story for another time Adam, but um but no this is in like what 1999 yeah. i'm sure my age yeah but um but um but yeah and then so I was just like oh and, and and I thought that was it like I'm set you know like I've got this high IQ and and my mom and dad were like oh she's gonna be a doctor she's gonna be a lawyer she's mm-hmm. gonna be a scientist um she's gonna cure global warming like all of like these major things and so I was like I, I like the aspirations that they had for you though as well. I mean, <laughs> she's gonna cure global quite warming a progressive family as yeah. you can tell um and then so primary school like was pretty good and then I got to secondary school I want to say I think I started noticing when I was about 14 or 15 and I would just sit down and I would look at like a worksheet that a teacher had given me and I'm mm-hmm. just like, this is not going in. And I don't know why it's not going in, but it just isn't. Like I can recognize the words on the page. I know exactly what it's telling me mm-hmm. to do, but the brain power is just not there. Like I yeah. physically can't make myself do it and I don't know why. So for the longest time I was just like, oh, well, 
this is it like i'm lazy like i obviously don't yeah. give a shit about yeah, school yeah, like yeah. i obviously don't care about the work that i'm doing um my mom and dad were very frustrated i mean like they were only you know regurgitating the information that they had available at the time like back then when i was 14 god like it would have been like the early 2010s like obviously the things like adhd and autism and things like that were flying around but no one had a, a concrete concept of what that really meant especially for girls like especially for a woman like i was 14 15 yeah, years old yeah, yeah. um i was predicted like all a stars um and a's and 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 i remember just looking at it and most people would look at that and think oh that's aspirational oh my god like people think i can get to that level Mm -hmm. and i remember thinking like i'm not gonna make it like i just know that i'm not gonna make it like i would say the expectation and i would feel crushed yeah and i'd be like i I, I just know i'm not gonna get it and it's not because i don't have the knowledge i do have the knowledge i just for whatever reason i can't implement it i can't focus i'm getting distracted in class and when I say distracted, I don't mean like big things like yeah. the like the fire alarm going off. But someone I could be sat here and someone could sneeze on the other side of the room and that would be it. Like my my trailer thought on what yeah, I was that, doing. That would pulls be you out your focus. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And then I would find it even more difficult to get back on track with what I was doing. Same with revision. I remember like people would come out with like their revision schedule and they would have like pretty cool highlighters and like all like fancy writing and have like sticky notes and stuff. And I'd be like, oh yeah, like that's a, uh, that's, uh, that's cool. But like, I genuinely thought everyone's faking this. Like everyone is faking it. Like how much revision they do. Surely because. <laughs> you were, you were know something funny as well. I, I never used highlighters or anything. I never, I never like blocked things out. Mm-hmm. I didn't have post-it notes. I was mm-hmm. literally like, I'm going to read this. Mm-hmm. and read this yeah. and read this and read this yes. and that's all that's all that's gonna that's how it's gonna sink in you know but uh yeah. no i never had highlighters as well so i'm with you on that uh, one fair enough but but no but honestly i was doing absolutely zilch in terms of revision i was and and, and the reason why is because i mean procrastination is a huge thing for mm-hmm. someone with adh i mean i mean the average person struggles with it let alone someone who can't maintain focus for a long period of time yeah um and so my mom and dad would be like, oh, so have you been doing much revising today? And I would lie through my back teeth about how much revision that I don't. I mean, everyone does that to an extent. Yeah. Um, and then I remember I actually did my GCSEs. And funnily enough, like my GCSEs were decent. So mm-hmm. um, I got an A star, four A's, three B's and two C's. Yeah, yeah. And the average person, they'd be like, oh, like, that's really good. And I remember, like, I remember looking at it and going, it's not all A's. My mom yeah, and dad are going to yeah. kill me. Um, and so I remember bringing it home and like, and like my mom was pretty like oh no like you did your best but my dad because he had such high expectations for me and he knew the potential that I had like I could just say in his face like he just felt crushed and yeah that to me crushed me and I was just like like I don't know how I'm gonna move forward with this so it was it was hard like I remember going to GPs at the time and I was just like no you don't understand I can't focus I'm yeah. getting distracted like oh well that happens with everyone you know like everyone gets distracted yeah. I was like yeah people get distracted but they can quite easily move their focus back to the thing that they were doing like yeah. if I'm distracted it will take me off on a completely different tangent yeah. that no one else would have thought to do so um for example like I remember there was one time um I was trying <laughs> trying to do some revision in the living room and then um my, my dad was doing some dishes and you could and you could like like faintly hear it yeah and I remember getting up and be like oh dad have I told you about the time that I washed dishes in my part-time job and like <laughs> oh yeah the, and then and then it just sort of like developed Spiral, from there and yeah. it went on and on and on and then I, and then I remember going like what the fuck was I just doing <laughs> like mm. I just I, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it was hard and things like ADHD weren't around back then yeah. um so well, they were but no one had any idea what it was now you said something yeah. in your speech about you had 
you asked everyone what they think of a yeah what they think of when they think of ADHD. Yeah. Now, what was that that you everyone thought? Yeah. Of? Um. So I said, what, what do you, what do you think of when you think of ADHD? And there was a guy in the front row who said, you just think of someone really, really hyper, like someone mm-hmm. a lot younger. And I said, would it be fair to say that you would envision a seven-year-old boy? And he went, yeah, yeah, no, no, I think, yeah, I think it would. And then everyone agreed. And I was like, would you in when you think of ADHD, do you think of a 25-year-old woman? And he was like, no, no, yeah, definitely yeah. not. So if, if that's the, the idea that people have now, it, it, and we're living in quite a, like, a knowledgeable, quite progressive society, back then, pe- people weren't going to have a clue. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Where do people get it wrong, do you think, when people think ADHD? Is it just yeah. the fact that there's a, you know, a misconception around what it actually mm-hmm. is? Are people just not educated on it? Is there nothing... Is it not portrayed very well in sort of sort of media and films and TV? Like, where do you think it is that people go wrong with ADHD? Oh, I think I, I think it's a bit of everything, really. Um, so big misconception. So um, that boys only have it, and that guys only have it. And the difference between men and women with ADHD is mm. that men tend, in my experience anyway, um, men tend to process things outwards, like they're a lot more action orientated. So when they're having symptoms like unable to focus or they're feeling hyper or um, uh, struggling to stay still or Mm -hmm. like, you know, stay on task, that is a lot more obvious because they're jumping out with a seat and they're walking around and being a little bit disruptive in class. Um, Women, in my experience, internalize things like like they process things internally Mm -hmm. so if if a woman's struggling to focus or like the um feeling quite hyperactive that's not going to show and women i've found tend to have more mental hyperactivity than they do physical hyperactivity Mm -hmm. like if i could rename adhd tomorrow i would because like the because it stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder hyperactivity is a key word there because when you think hyper you think physically hyper Mm -hmm. there's mental hyperactivity like that's a Mm. huge thing as well and attention deficit doesn't sum up what it actually is like because you look at it and you think like oh i can't pay attention in the hyper it is so so much more than that because we don't have a deficit of attention we have a dysregulation of attention because Mm. if we had a deficit of attention we wouldn't be able to focus on anything yeah but we can it's just it's a very black and white we either cannot focus to save our life or we're hyper focus on something yeah so hyper focus in a sense is very powerful you know is is a great thing because if you um researching something that you're passionate about or you're in a job that you really like like you can like put full power into that that you can Mm -hmm. go full steam ahead with your focus but if it's something fairly minor like chores or remembering to do something or keeping a budget or keeping a to-do list of things that you need it's it's a lot harder and i think the main i think the main thing that people get wrong is that we're just being lazy or like we just can't do it And, and like that is like the the total opposite like i've not met a single person with adhd that doesn't try and the thing is like we do try yeah but it's what our what looks like trying to us doesn't like trying to everyone else so i'll I'll give you a perfect example okay so say if we had like a hot stove on the table right mm-hmm. now i mean you probably think where the hell's hot stove come from dangerous but- <laughs> there is one da- there's a there's a hot plate downstairs i can go get it if it's a very- <laughs> well well, for, well in the interest of safety boom yeah. but um so if I said to you, right, Adam, I want you to put your hand down on that hot stove, right? Right. 
what's your brain gonna do uh no because i'm yeah. gonna get a burnt hand yeah, <laughs> yeah. right you, you, your brain is gonna physically stop you but if i go oh well it, it, it's simply easy you just pick up your hand you put it down you've got the motor skills to do it physically you can put your hand down what's the problem right yeah your brain stops you from doing it yeah. right there's there's a, a mechanism in your brain that stops you from yeah because it, it knows right? you're gonna get hurt right yeah, yeah. People with ADHD, right, that is what happens in their brain when they know they should do something. There's something in their brain that stops Ah, them from doing it. Because a lot of people think, well, why can't you just do it? Like, you can motivate yourself to do it. Which is quite a problem if you're in the motivational space, if you're in the self-help space, because we talk a lot about motivation and, like, oh, just do it. Or we talk about discipline, like, just do it. But that is assuming that the person is like has the ability in the brain to motivate themselves yeah, it's quote unquote themselves. normal has a normal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. whereas i remember i remembered like like I, like even now like i can say like a massive pile of washing or a pile of dishes and in my brain i was like oh yes i know i should do this but as soon as i go to do it there's something in my brain that goes nah like brain stops it from doing it yeah mm. if you put me um in front of a like a lord of the rings book or something like that yeah it is like, <clears throat> like there's something in my brain like my brain doesn't have like the the bicycle brakes to stop myself from doing well, it what, so. what i was what i was going to say was it's very common that you find that people with autism or something mm. like adhd gravitate towards a lot of nerdy um mm-hmm. yeah but nerdy complex like mm-hmm. if, like obviously if i asked you about lord of the rings yeah you would literally tell me so much lore yeah. until my <laughs> yeah. ears started bleeding, Lord. right? But it's that in itself mm-hmm. is an incredible skill that yeah. most people don't have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not really, you know, rewarded so much. It's kind of looked at a bit strange. But if, yeah. if you could take, like a lot of people say, I wish I could just take all this knowledge in, yeah. right? About something that they really care about. Yeah. People with ADHD, fucking spawn. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I've met a lot of people who, um, and I, lo- I don't know why, um, off topic, but they do a very... Um, sort of nasally sort of like this kind of voice yeah. I don't know where that comes I really don't know where <laughs> yeah, that comes yeah. from um, or American as well yeah. um, I don't know whether it's just because a lot of you know nerdy stuff is American these days mm-hmm. I don't know where that comes from but um, yeah they do tend to, to know a lot like obviously I know a lot you ask me about Star Wars mm-hmm. shit my voice will change I'll yeah. go nerdy voice <laughs> I will tell you everything yeah. about I, you know I watched a video um, there's a great guy on YouTube called Star Wars Theory right okay. amazing channel if you love Star Wars right okay People, people instantly just turn this podcast off on now. Fuck this, going. It is now a bad time to say I've never seen Star Wars. Well, you know, we'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> um, have fun getting the bus home. But uh, the 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 he was basically talking about um, the video I watched was like what what Darth Vader's suit actually yeah. was like, mm-hmm. and I remember all that shit. Yeah, I don't, I'm not ADHD, but I was like, I fucking yeah. love this thing. Yeah, and it's like if you can if you could imagine if we could take the people with ADHD who had like a specific interest in something, like mm-hmm. they would make amazing. Like if you mm-hmm were um a doctor or something yeah. right with adhd i don't know whether that's a good thing i don't know whether how that's where i'm just yeah. i'm just speculating but if you knew everything about how everything worked and you could meticulously mm-hmm. pan out because that was your thing yeah like that would be incredible wouldn't it like do you know what i mean yeah, was and, that and, gonna work that way and, and and the reason for that is i mean like you've talked about this before mm-hmm. dopamine is yeah, a huge yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Because when I say we don't have a deficit, we have a dysregulation, mm-hmm. dopamine feeds into that. Yeah. So a neurotypical person um, would, they get a little dopamine hit after they complete a task. So even if it's something simple like washing the dishes, getting that assignment done, yeah. whatever it is, a neurotypical person is motivated to do that because they know they get a dopamine hit at the end yes. of it. We don't. ADHD people do right. not get. Our dopamine levels work very differently. However, if you look at an ADHD brain, the dopamine spikes 
way higher than what a neurotypical brain can spike in dopamine when they talk about a special interest or something that they're hyperfixated on. So that is why ADHD people, when it comes to talking, like what you just said, mm-hmm. is very hit or miss. Because if you ask me to, you know, recite, I don't know, a shopping list or um, some really detailed information, financial information, like I often have to do at work, I'm just mm-hmm. like, mate, like this is not going in. Like it doesn't matter how yeah. many times I read that, it's not going in. Ask me about Game of Thrones. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah. this person does this. In the books, this happens. And oh, George R. R. Martin did this. Mm-hmm. It's because like the dopamine levels aren't leveling out. Like um, we respond to stimuli very differently, and yeah. so the dopamine levels in our brain respond to stimuli differently. Um, and so, but but it's interesting what you said about like if we could just channel that sort of energy and that talent into other things, which sort of is interesting, because I feel like so not just ADHD, but with autism, other neurodivergent conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. When you yeah. say neurodivergent, let's what, right. what 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 fits into that for someone that doesn't know what okay. that is? Okay, so neurodivergent. So a neurodivergent brain is any brain that doesn't work the normal way, like right. the the way that we see everyone's society, like the brain type that society tends to favour, right? Okay. So neurodivergent can include things like ADHD, autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, Tourette's, OCD, uh, sensory processing disorder. Anything that makes your brain work differently and not optimally right. for society is what is considered neurodivergent. Okay, and cool. you can quite clearly see, if you take like a neurotypical brain and a neurodivergent brain, whether that's an ADHD brain, autism brain, whatever it is, the structure's different in mm-hmm. the way that parts of the brain talk to each other are different. Yeah. So that's what we mean by by neurodivergent cool. um just start to clarify uh, that for yeah everyone, so yeah. <laughs> yeah um but but no like um so ADHD yeah it's kicking it in again what was the question we were talking about um we were talking about the the ideal working environment so like how, yeah. how um if we could channel people's yeah. adhd into like life better yeah then it would yeah. make more sense so so i've noticed is that so someone with adhd or order like i'm just going to use because those are the two main ones that people tend to have heard of yeah. right so if your special interest or hyperfixation is something that is beneficial for society, you're seen as a genius, right? Steve Jobs, for example, very. Well, we don't know if he's dude. yeah. We don't know if he actually was neurodivergent. Like I'm not aware that he was diagnosed with anything. But the way that his brain worked, because his focus and his fixation was on technology, something that is seen as better in society. He was seen as a genius. He was seen as a. Um, non-trubbing it you were seen as this amazing person right so if you take that brain but they're like something a bit more obscure um trains stamps um yeah. well that guy on tiktok went viral yeah. that francis something for a train spot yeah. didn't he? and he was yeah. he was weird but like in a cool way yeah like, yeah you made me want to watch trains yeah um but but um but it's 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 mad because but then if if, if your fixation of your focus is something that's not deemed beneficial for society you're seen as weird you're seen as nerdy you're, you're seen as like like people look at you differently yeah. like if you're a nerd and, and and it's weird because like and being a nerd is cool yeah insofar that it makes you look good if if yeah. you're a nerd in terms of like this is for your own personal enjoyment mm-hmm. then you're seen as a bit weird which i think is quite a, a telling thing about society like it's um you, you're not seen as you're only viewed favorably if the traits that you have can contribute to society yeah in, in a way um or seen to contribute to society um 
so, which is but, but but if you look at it on its own like there's so many strengths like every type of brain has its strengths and has its challenges so for example like you said earlier if i have a thought i don't just have one singular thought it's mm-hmm. a thought that has a subthought that has a mm-hmm. thought that has a mm-hmm. thought that has a thought that has a thought and it becomes like a like a landmine like a, <laughs> of information like a web like, like, yeah, a, yeah, like yeah. a spider web um but at the same time, if if something's asked of me that doesn't fit in, neatly into that spider web, it's like, oh crap, like mm-hmm. it's it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. So when we say like being uh, obviously go if we go back to autism or something like that, when someone says like I'm just curious if you know this, when we say being on the spectrum, right? Because yeah. someone someone people might say, oh, he's definitely on the spectrum, yeah. or they're definitely on the spectrum, whatever. What is the, what is the what, what classifies someone as autistic, or what do, what classifies someone as just having those tendencies? Like, where do people where do you draw the line when you in the diagnosis? Yeah. So so first of all, I I hate the term. This might be a bit controversial. I hate the term when someone says, oh, well, we're all a bit on the spectrum. We're not all a bit on the spectrum, right? Because when we say, if we're all on the spectrum, then nobody's on the spectrum, right? There needs to be like a line. Because then there wouldn't be a spectrum. It would just be the way everyone was in different ways. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And when we think of a spectrum as well, like most people tend to think of like a linear line. So going from just mildly on the spectrum to severely on the spectrum, like we think of it as like a one to 10 scale. Whereas actually the spectrum, again, looks a bit more like a spider web, Mm -hmm. right? So it has intersections. And if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person, like no two autistic people are the same. So when you think of the autism spectrum, you tend to things you tend to think of things like that they really need routine they take things literally um they have social deficits because mm-hmm. they communicate differently um they have very fixed interests um they tend to have sensory issues whether that's something like um they can't eat certain types of food because if the texture's off it just sends their brain into panic mm. um tend to get overwhelmed easily um tend to have very <clears throat> pardon me tend to not all the time tend to not like change mm-hmm. tend to have um a certain way of thinking um tend to have i think the main one is like when you see someone in like you say you think oh like they're a bit on the spectrum it tend to be because they live in their own sort of social world like their idea of social communication and someone else's is probably completely different right so so someone can have autistic traits. Yeah. So for example, I'm I'm not aware of like the full number, but in order to be diagnosed with autism, there's like a set amount of symptoms that <clears throat> you typically recognize in someone with right. autism. And with any with anything that you can be diagnosed with, you have to fit a certain amount of symptoms or certain yeah. things that are obvious in your like life. Criteria, yeah, so yeah. so say for example, I mean this isn't a correct number, but just off the top of my head. Say if there are ten symptoms associated with a disorder or a difference or whatever it is and you have to meet seven yeah out of those 10 criteria then you see it's like yep you've been diagnosed with this yeah, yeah, yeah. but the average person might have three mm-hmm. so technically they do have autistic traits but they don't have enough to be considered autistic, autistic. right yeah, yeah so um but, but that's the thing like there's so many different things that come into play because an- another thing that like that comes on the um like one of the symptoms um of being on the spectrum is that um like they dislike change yeah yeah yeah. but i know loads of people who don't like change it yeah. doesn't mean they're autistic i don't i get really grumpy when i get knocked out of my routine i'm like yeah. a fucking grump like yeah. ev- like um we went on holiday and stuff and like for the first day mm. in a new place completely new and i'm just like a fucking mess yeah. like my, i can't think of anything i'm yeah. miserable yeah. i'm hungry all the time i don't know yeah. why but it's like I, yeah. that could be considered a trait yeah. most likely but 
Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm autistic. You know I mean? Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing, like, in order to be diagnosed with something, <clears throat> pardon me, or in order to have something affect your life to the extent that autism can, it's not just the odd trait, it's a combination of quite yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of traits, which then sort of creates the um, the package, if you yeah, like, yeah, yeah. of what <clears throat> an autistic person looks like. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, um, but, yeah, and, and so, like... But, and this is the thing. So say for it, because there is evidence to suggest that there's a genetic element as well. So say, for example, if you have parent A and parent B, yeah. right? And they have, one of them has three symptoms or three traits that are on the spectrum. And the other parent has four or five, right? Totally different, right? That's not enough for them individually to be um, diagnosed with autism. Yeah. But if you inherit all of those traits from both parents and then you cross the threshold of how many symptoms mm-hmm. you have so that add together you have like what eight or nine that you know that's what can that is what contributes to someone being diagnosed right. so, so like two parents can have autistic traits but then if you inherit both of those traits yeah. and then that puts you like oh well i've now got eight symptoms where my parents only have four that's the that's the difference yeah. so interesting well we, obviously it's becoming more and more common to have yeah these pop up like oh someone's got autism someone's got adhd etc yeah. etc et et but mm-hmm. one of the things that i have a, a problem with is uh self-diagnosis okay so people who like you said might have three traits and then mm-hmm. be like oh well i clearly have autism because i have this i yeah. clearly have ocd because i wash <clears throat> my hands on repeat yeah. do you know what i mean and it's like where do you stand <clears throat> on the whole self-diagnosis thing like is it mm-hmm. is it valuable is it not should people do it like where do you stand on that personally so for me, <clears throat> pardon me, it's quite a it's quite a nuanced conversation, self-diagnosis, mm. right? Because you have some people who are like self-diagnosis is not valid in the slightest. You need to be diagnosed by a medical professional. Mm-hmm. You need to have evidence, tend to be on yeah. that side of things. But then on the flip side, like what you said, there are also some people who are very quick to be like, like you said, like, oh, just because I wash my hands a lot means I have OCD. Yeah. So my opinion on self-diagnosis falls in the middle. <clears throat> So, for example, a lot of people don't have access to an assessment, mm-hmm. put it that way. Especially nowadays, especially if you live in a rural area. So, I was talking to a lady um, a few weeks ago and she lives in quite a rural area. Like, not quite far away from the main sort of town or city, yeah. you would say. And she has um, a son that she suspects had autism. She's looking at a seven-year waiting list. Wow like for a diagnosis yeah. and and it's very clear like from the challenges that um a little boy has that you know this is clearly what it is but yeah. because they don't have access to um an assessment to a diet they don't have that privilege of being diagnosed yeah. in that case self-diagnosis is needed because you know if you think about any any even like physical um disorders or physical ailments right if you've got a broken leg and you walk around with a broken leg, it's not as if you don't have the broken leg until you're diagnosed. Like you have yeah, it with, yeah. without I a doctor yeah, looking yeah. at you saying like, this is what you've got. So we need to sort of, um, so in that case, um, and, and especially if you look at people in America as well, because the American healthcare system is very, very different to yes, ours. Is, yeah. And you have to pay. I mean, obviously, like private diagnosis is a thing here, but in America, that's the default for everyone, unless you've yeah, got yeah. decent insurance. Um, and so if you're from a working class family, you are not going to have the money to go to a top psychiatrist. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So 
<clears throat> so self-diagnosis for me is valid because I think a lot of people, when they think of self-diagnosis, they think of what you just said, like, oh, I've watched one TikTok video and it said like, oh, I'm using yeah, this topic, that means I yeah, have ADHD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, like that does happen. Like those people do exist. Um, but at the same time, I know a lot of people who are self-diagnosed ADHD, autism, OCD, depression, um, bipolar, like whatever it is. And, but it's because they have genuine reason to. They either mm-hmm. don't have access to an assessment and they can't get diagnosed. Um, or a lot of people are still living with their parents. And if their parents think they're absolutely fine, if you're under 18, you often need a parent's um, supervision yeah, you do, yeah, or, yeah. you know, um, their approval or like their permission to have to have an assessment done. So a lot of people that I know who are self-diagnosed have rigorously gone through all the symptoms that they have have researched things like the DSM, which is the the diagnostic criteria for uh, psychiatric um, disorders or whatever you want to call them, um, because they simply don't have access to um, to an assessment. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing though. Like so, so if, if you know that you're very clearly different, mm-hmm. so if you think you have ADHD or autism, but because you don't have the paper, you don't have it written down to say, yeah, this is what it is it doesn't make your struggle any less hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like I said, like with a broken leg, like just because you haven't had a doctor look at you and go like, yeah, that's a broken leg, it doesn't mean that you're not limping around. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. So we need to f- try and strike a balance between um, self-diagnosing just because you meet one symptom or because yeah, you yeah, seem yeah. to have tendencies of one thing. And um, no, you definitely don't have this unless you have it written down. So I think self-diagnosis does get a bit of a bad rap in the media because 90%, I would say, like the vast majority of people I see who are self-diagnosed aren't self-diagnosing because they want to look cool, like they don't because they want to look trendy. It's because they don't have the answers and yeah, yeah. they know intrinsically that they have something, but because they don't have the access to medical care to a psychiatrist um, whatever it is um it's simply not an option for them so i think those people we need to really cut them some slack (laughs) yeah well there's also those people like you said there it actually that is exactly my next question is Mm -hmm. it's very common for people to say i've got this yeah uh, you know i've got ADHD, i've got autism i've got dyslexia because i can't do this or that Mm -hmm. um and self-diagnose um but it's also becomes a huge part of people's identity people mm-hmm. identify a lot obviously rightly so with their mental health yeah or with any issues that they have yeah but do you think it's got to a point where it's almost like can be used as a scapegoat or an excuse or to look cool or for attention like because obviously you look at the tiktok mm-hmm. generation yeah like every other tiktok you scroll someone's making a joke about their bpd mm-hmm. yeah or their depression or yeah. anxiety hit me today and do you know what i mean it's fa- yeah. it's it's either it's more common than we ever realize yeah mm-hmm. or there's a vast majority of people who are doing it because they think they get something from it or it's an excuse mm-hmm. for a certain behavioral trait now obviously you don't know yeah right because mm-hmm. it's like one voice gets lost in the wilderness like one yeah. person who has it is surrounded by 20 people who think it's cool to have it you know okay. what i mean yeah. like what's your opinion on on the sort of that that culture there's people that do say i've yeah. got this but they don't they've got no diagnosis they yeah. haven't looked into it as much they've taken yeah. one thing and said well I must have this and I'm going to make it yeah. less a part of my identity specifically. Yeah. Like, where do you stand on that? So for me, I mean, social media has got, we have a lot to thank social media for mm-hmm. in terms of awareness and diagnosis, because now a lot more people than ever are getting diagnosed with things that they previously wouldn't have known about because the awareness isn't there. So yeah. people very much use social media as a tool 
um, for those sorts of things. And and, and and I'll be honest, like social media played a part in me thinking, oh, yeah, I might actually have this. So in that yeah. sense, it is very much a good thing. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, social media is almost the toilet of the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, like... The, There's um, a lot of shit flowing around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you think back to what, like 2010 Tumblr days, well, I mean, oh God. yeah, like we're going back a bit now. We've got on a Tumblr, guys. Yeah. <laughs> hold, hold on to yourself. No. Yeah, you can tell which generation we're from. I, I had um, a Tumblr account, actually. I did, yeah. <laughs> but the romanticization of mental disorders, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is, has always been there. And I am 100% against that because, and, and, and again, like this is what it, it comes down to in the media. Because if you have a lot of media portrayals around you that sees a mental disorder or mental illness or a neurodivergent condition as mm-hmm. cool, people are going to go, oh, I want to step on that. Yeah. And it, But the reality is so, so very different. So, for example, one of the things I brought up in my talk was Rain Man. Have you ever seen the film? Yeah, Rain yeah, Man? Yeah, Rain yeah. Man. Excellent film. So, Rain Man, at the time, was quite groundbreaking in terms of it helped bring autism it was specifically autistic meant to the forefront of people's minds because before then it was almost like hidden away it's like oh yeah have you heard about susan's son he's got autism yeah so that was very much the and it still is not like now to an extent um but at the time ray man was um when when you watch the film he can count cards you know like he has an unbelievable memory yeah he, he has does. all of these great things and so people look at that and be like oh well i want to be like i want to identify with that like i'm yeah, intelligent you, you look at people say that now it's yeah. like oh so you can count cards are you like rain man it's yeah like, ah. yeah exactly <laughs> like it's become such an ingrained part of of media yeah. and of culture the word autism so, almost means rain man that's what it means now yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah essentially and and it's just um and i think that media has got a part of playing it because if if there were accurate media portrayals about the struggles of having a mental disorder of having mental illness of having neurodivergent mm. condition they would realize that it is not this trendy quirky thing to have it it's is not, it doesn't need glorified no definitely not and don't get me wrong like while we should focus on the strengths of people you mm-hmm. know who have like who are neurodivergent um at the same time we also need to highlight that these people genuinely struggle with things like and, and i can say and this i'll say this as someone who is quite comfortable with their status as an, as someone with adhd mm-hmm. i would not wish this on my worst enemy like on yeah. my worst days i would not wish what i have to go through the overwhelm the frustration the not being able to do things that other people can do i would not wish that on anyone and so i think people who are quick to identify like oh look at me i'm adhd i'm so quirky or mm-hmm. um this has been going on for ages like this isn't a new thing or like oh like i skip i skip breakfast therefore i must have an eating disorder or my moods are up and down therefore i'm bipolar that has always existed and i think that the media has got such a big part to play in that because any person that has um an illness or a disorder that genuinely makes their life difficult Mm because i do not want this this is not a quirky thing to have um and so i think some people do because so like the people on tiktok for example um who think like oh yeah like i must have this or go on social media and think like yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah this is quirky this is this whatever um it tends to come from teenagers like what i've noticed mm-hmm. and, and and the thing is though a lot of these teenagers do have something yeah but because they don't have that representation in the media like and they don't have that knowledge and they don't have that support they automatically go to like yeah 
like um, it is quirky and it is this and, and it's romanticized and and i'm totally against like romanticization because i think you can draw on the strengths you know and what makes someone with a neurodivergent condition or a mental health uh, disorder yeah good without downplaying how how detrimental yeah, it yeah, can like, be. Well, it's almost it's life. almost like offensive if someone's like, "Hey, look at me! I'm so quirky because mm. I have like anxiety." Yeah, and then, meanwhile, yeah. there's someone over there who's like, "This is fucking killing me." Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it is almost like it's almost offensive. It's like, yeah. It's, yeah I, I remember. I remember, what. like, this just popped the top of my head. I remember in Tumblr because if anyone who's been on Tumblr, like, it was an absolute shit show. Is it like, still going? Is Tumblr still going? It is. Jesus, I wonder what but kind they of took all the porn off, so people don't want to go anymore. That's a shame. The porn was the best bit of Tumblr. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> um, but um, but no, I, I remember there was this there was this quote that was floating around on Tumblr back in the day, and it was something like, uh, "Suicidal people are fallen angels that just want to go home." What? And and I remember someone commented being like, "Please, for the love of God, can we stop this absolute shit show yeah. like this? Do, like when you're suicidal, you don't think, oh, 'Oh, I'm an angel that wants to go home.' You think, I can't get out of bed, I can't function, I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. eat." Um, I don't have the will to live anymore. Like it's. Well, there was a girl in the media recently. I remember seeing that. It was probably a couple mm. months ago, and she was um, she committed suicide. I think she was only a young schoolgirl. Mm. She committed suicide. Yeah. And um, when they went on a uh, social media, here she'd mm. like saved, liked loads of those kind of quotes yeah. and images, yeah. glorifying suicide, yeah. glorifying depression, yeah. glorifying mental health. And yeah, it's great to have an awareness to it, yeah. but do not, for the love of fucking God, mm-hmm. glorify it and make yeah, it out 100%. to be this thing that you should almost aspire to have because, you know, no, you join a club. God, no. Like, I was saying this to some, like, obviously, I was saying this to a few of my friends. I was saying, like, people's, people nowadays, we really struggle for a sense of identity. We yeah. really do. And the problem is, when you see these things online that make, that resonate with a certain part of you, right? Yeah. So you could you could just be sad and going through a shit time, yeah. right? And you see a post mm-hmm. or a group dedicated to people who have depression, yeah. right? You then get validated for your feelings. Your feelings mm-hmm. get validated. Yeah. Um, you join that group and you have a sense of identity around mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But you can't... But then you're feeding this sadness. Mm-hmm. You're feeding this feeling that you would that would be better if it fucked off yeah. and went away. Yeah. But you're feeding this because it feeds your sense of identity. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do that now. They see something that is... Um, trendy I guess you could yeah. say or makes them fit in because they don't feel like they fit in anywhere mm-hmm. they find yeah. this group of people they resonate with it and they, yeah. they stick to that and I think we all have these little camps now yeah. right? I mean you could even say that about us being in like a self-development world yeah. like people look at us self-development gurus and like, oh, they think they're better than everyone because they yeah. read a few books <laughs> yeah. so they visited yeah. a Tony Robbins seminar yeah. do you know what I mean and it's like no like that's not how we look but yeah. We obviously resonated with a certain part of self-help. Mm-hmm. We resonated with development, mm-hmm. and that's why we're in this group. But mm-hmm. there's some groups that I feel like people resonate with that aren't helpful at all. Okay, can you give me an example? Of a group? Mm-hmm. Or, or just something that I can um, analyze. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. if, you were to, if you were to find a group of people who, I mean, there's not one that I can particularly point out by name, okay. right? But I've seen groups on Facebook. I was Obviously, you look at the Tumblr post that yeah. we said. Um on social media, you do get these people who do post about suicide, who post yeah. about depression, who post about whatever. Yeah. And then there's people who comment on that saying, oh, I feel the same, hope yeah. you're okay, hon, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and then you meet these people, then these two people get together, mm-hmm. they talk about their misery, mm-hmm. and then they get validation from each other because they, they, both their feelings mm-hmm. are aligned. Yeah. And then they'll end up finding more people. They'll make these, uh, you mm-hmm. tend to find a lot of people like that who 
I feel like truly depressed people, mm-hmm. like obviously I'm not, I'm, I don't have depression or anything like that, mm-hmm. wouldn't post that sort of stuff on social media personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's correct. Okay. You can quote me on that, but I wouldn't say that people would post, maybe as a private blog mm-hmm. to express the feelings to get that out, but yeah. I don't feel like somewhere like Facebook or Instagram or something like that would be the best place. I don't feel like someone that truly feels that way would post that. However, I can obviously see the appeal of doing so. Um, I was very much yeah. one of those l- people who put li- mm-hmm. posted lyrics when they yeah. were younger to describe yeah. the feelings um but obviously i feel like doing that it just isn't helpful and and obviously you get the it's good to find your tribe mm-hmm. i'll never dispute that it's yeah. good to find people who mm-hmm. have the same as you but if it's in a if it's in a bad or sort of negative way mm-hmm. i mean having depression sucks ass yeah so from the anxiety sucks ass mm-hmm. not having a place to go mm-hmm. sucks major ass yeah right and if you can find those people hallelujah but if those people are if it's just simply this rumination on how you feel and there's no actual development there's no actual let's try and treat it let's work together let's try and build each other back up and it's just this uh like you said like people with depression or fallen angels just want to go home if it's just that repeated and repeated and repeated in these groups and cycles it's and anyone who speaks out about that is bad and Mm -hmm. and bigoted or whatever it's like that's not a healthy group to be in you want to find those groups Mm -hmm. who are you know depression help yeah like depression relief something like that i think i think for me personally um because like I said, I'm, I'm I sort of like take a middle point in this. So I think a lot of depressed people, people who are like really struggling with mm-hmm. mental health, because depression takes a toll on your communication as well. Like if you're depressed, like it is not going to make your communication style the most optimal. No. Right when you're desperate, right to, to to the untrained eye, like you know, s- someone who's really desperate and who is really struggling and having suicidal thoughts, right? They might think that right i need to put this on facebook i need to put this on instagram because the idea of going to someone on a one-to-one level as a friend and being like look mate like i'm really struggling yeah, yeah, yeah. is daunting do you think men struggle with that more than women or do you think i it's think about i equal? think they struggle with it in different ways right so i feel like with women we tend to be more likely to open up to other female friends and male friends yeah, as well yeah. like we tend to um see things as like oh well sharing is caring like i feel like that is definitely um more of an element um for women but i think for men because um i think men's mental health has a really long way to go though and i say that as a woman i would agree yeah because if, I, th- I think the statistic is um the cause and lead of death for a man under 40 is it's himself it's, it's is, suicide, is suicide. Yeah, yeah. um so I think from a male perspective, um, if they see a woman go on Facebook and be like, like, look, girls, I'm really struggling, like, I'm really depressed, I'm suicidal, whatever it is. And because w- and women tend to have that... Um, Nurturing, caring Tend vibe. to be, like, and, and they tend to sort of flock together. Like, I, mm-hmm. like, I've never seen a female friend group where one woman's been struggling and then all of the other women have gone, well, guess it's not my problem. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas... Whereas I think um, with guys, and, and this comes like from an interpersonal perspective as well, like men are simply not given the tools that they need to have a conversation about mental health. And this, and this is starting on basic things like depression, anxiety, yeah, yeah, yeah. like let alone things like that are a bit more serious, like mm-hmm. major depressive disorder, bipolar, schizophrenia, personality disorders, yeah. whatever it is. Like, and, and women struggle with this as well. Like we are simply not, equipped as a society to have productive conversations about mental health mm-hmm. and i tell you because i think there's one thing in the sort of the self-help and the motivation space 
in, in not just in that space, but this is becoming fairly mainstream on things like Instagram as well, is this this idea of like, um, oh, if, if someone is dragging you down, cut them off. Like right, toxic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but it's almost been taken to the nth degree. So like because of a lot of these Instagram buzzwords like toxic and boundaries, which have a very valid part to yeah. play. I actually you know, hear like, the word which, toxic, which are, but yeah. Yeah, which yeah. are like valid things. Um. Now, if someone who is really, really struggling does open up to someone and goes like, look, mate, or look at like, I'm really like struggling. We're not equipped. Like we're not given the tools to sort of deal that. Like yeah. we can learn and over time, like we know how we learn how to listen to people and we learn how to validate people. But if you're sort of, so say for example, if you're depressed or you're really anxious and you're surrounded by really positive people mm-hmm. and you want to share what's on your mind, it's very common for them to go, well, they're not going to understand what I'm talking about. I'm not yeah, going to feel is. validated. If I say I'm I'm really struggling with this, they might think that a really positive person is going to go, well, all you need to do is meditate and exercise mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Which, which again, there is value to those conversations. But a lot of the time we just want to feel validated. Like we just want to feel like someone can relate to what's yeah. happening because sometimes we just need a friend. We just need someone to listen. We don't necessarily need like a five-step plan on how to fix the problem. I think men and women's mental health needs to be treated differently. And I think yeah. what you just described there is very much how women would see it. I think for okay. men as well, men love actionable steps. Mm-hmm. We love people yeah. to be like, this is what you need to do. We yeah. love the logical side of it. Yeah. Um, that's why I said I said in this with Sam when Sam was here yeah. this week and we were talking about relationships and we said that um, for a man, if you're listening to a woman's problems, you got to say, don't don't try and fix it straight away. Say, yeah. do you need me to listen or do you need me to help? Yeah. And that's a very yeah. important distinction. And the problem I think a lot of people do is they try and treat men's mental health and women's mental health as mental health in general, mm-hmm. whereas they both need very different types of mm-hmm. care, of treatment and attention. Yeah. It's very different for each and it's very hard. Yeah. I don't think... I personally don't believe one's ever going to fully understand the other. Yeah. yeah Do you know I what I mean? Agree. And yeah. I feel like it's very much like for men, I'm, I always say if, if you are struggling, find men and for women, find women. Unless unless yeah. they're trained. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if, if you were a man and you got a female psychologist or therapist, yeah. that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about like in your friendship group, if you have a an issue, mm-hmm. talk to the men as a man. Okay. So me as a female, we've been mm-hmm. friends for a very long time. Yeah. If I had a problem, would you want me to tell you? If I was struggling, would you want me to come to you? I would want you to come for me if you needed, like, that my kind of help, as in okay. a male type of, as, as in, I mean, obviously, as a man, you can listen. I'm not saying yeah. don't listen to a woman's yeah. problems. But the idea of trying to fully understand where they're at is yeah. you're probably not going to reach that same level as if yeah. they were speaking to their female friends. Yeah. It's just not going to okay. happen, I don't yeah. think. I think I think for me personally is that, um, I mean, I had struggles with this with my own partner because I remember, like, I mean, my partner's, eight years older than me so mm-hmm. we're talking about different generation yeah, like yeah. let alone like opposite sex um and i remember like i would go to him with something and i'd be like really really upset and i would just want to get it out and he would be like right well this is what you need to do and maybe you should do mm-hmm. this and then i would get but from a woman's point of view we almost we almost take that as why aren't you listening to me exactly yeah you yeah. know what i mean but it's then it's very the, it's very as all the men are listening yeah. going yeah what that's yeah. the fucking problem <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah yeah but at the same time um on the flip side of that often if um and i'm saying this for like a heterosexual relationship so whether yeah, yeah. man woman whereas i've noticed that on the other side if a guy goes to a girl and um you know and he's like really struggling so like oh yeah like i've had a bad day at work or whatever 
the woman will go, oh, that sounds like really sad, and we'll listen to them. And the guy's almost like, why aren't you giving me advice? Yeah, I'd probably. Uh, yeah, and, that, and, yeah, and and the girls are like, well, I'm just trying to listen. I'm just trying to let you get it off your chest. So there needs to be some sort of, and 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 that's why there's definitely value in what you just said. And when you have a conversation of, do you need me to listen or do you need me to fix it? And and it's this thing where. But, but this is the thing, though. Like, you also get women who take that approach to things. I know women who, um, when have when they have a female friend, go to them and be like, right, well, you should do this and you should do this. But at the same time, I also know men who take a step back and listen as well. So it's mm. not like a one-size-fits-all, but I see the value in what you're saying. Yeah, obviously, you'll get you'll get men that are tend to lean in more feminine ways. Yeah. You get, obviously, women who lean in more masculine ways. Mm. That You're always going to get the exception to the rule kind of thing. Yeah. So I understand that completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um but but no like i think um i think a lot like what you just said like about finding other depressed people and it becomes like a group sort of thing it becomes basically for lack of a better term a circle jerk don't it It becomes it becomes this like this bounce back and forwards oh you're depressed let me tell you how depressed i am and for for if you were to go to a proper meeting like a you know like you know you go for alcoholics anonymous and everyone's there to kind of get over their thing that's absolutely fine and you will need if you have those feelings you will need to share them it's gonna happen Mm. right but if you're just talking back and forth back and forth you might as well just be shouting at a wall because it's not gonna go anywhere yeah you know what i mean i mean my, my philosophy on this is um you know you can't have one extreme or the other you need to find a balance so have your grieving time if you if you're going through something or you're really struggling with something have your space to just get it off your mm-hmm. chest and do whatever impulsive decisions or whatever t- or whatever it is that you're going to do because you're hurting right you need to just get it off in your grief but then once you've had your grieving space that's when you go right i've had yeah, like i've yeah, had yeah, my, yeah, yeah. i've expressed it like i've cried about it enough i've talked about it enough like i need to take action yeah. whereas if you were to be like all cry and no action you're never going to get anywhere but if you're all action and no cry you're going to really burn well this, this is what i said so yeah. i came up i called it the two the two leg analogy yeah. stand on two leg analogy and, and what i say is basically you look at the left leg you stand on one leg mm-hmm. and it's like i'm going to talk about it i'm going to get it out in one event yeah. um you're just going to fall yeah right it was if you stand on the right leg and you're just gonna i'm gonna ignore these feelings i'm gonna barrel through action mm-hmm. action action is king yeah. like i'm a big action is king kind yeah. of guy yeah. um but if you just stand on that right leg you're gonna topple that's why you need both like yeah. i have a group chat with a few of my a few of my good mates who I, who I trust with with mm-hmm. my life and um we always share stuff in there i, I mm-hmm. set it up um so i had that sort of tribe yeah. to talk to and uh you know there's the guys in there are really understandable and like and mm-hmm. and we'll go uh like i'm having this trouble mm-hmm. or I, I need advice on this like and they'll be like what's up tell me tell me some context yeah. and it's like da paragraph you yeah. know of like this is what's going on and they go okay i see how you feel i can understand this mm-hmm. and it's like a little bit of understanding then here's what I would recommend you do. And then the other guys pitch. And that has worked perfectly. Yeah. That is honestly my favorite thing about that group chat. Yeah. And I think every guy needs something like that. Like mm-hmm. not a um, quote unquote toxically masculine bro talk yeah. where it's like, just just go off bro. Just It yeah. doesn't matter bro. Just go lift some weights bro. And yeah. it's like, yeah, go lift some weights because yeah. it'll pro- fucking help you. It yeah. will definitely yeah. 100% help you feel okay. better. But it's like, leave the bro talk at yeah. home don't be don't be one of those yeah. guys if you're a guy listen don't be one of those guys it's just all bro talk and like oh let's go to the gym bro you don't yeah. fucking need that bitch and you know yeah. all this i'm yeah. not even i don't even know how bro talk anymore i'm so past that stage <laughs> well, that's, that's you know, a good sign that's i'm like I don't, what does bro talk even mean now but you know what i mean yeah. it's like don't be one yeah. of these guys who's just like you know let's go for a fucking get to yeah. go fucking yeah. pissed or whatever it's like mm-hmm. if one of my friends said when i'm in a depressed mood let's go get pissed they wouldn't mm-hmm. be my friend anymore yeah, I'd be like, no. If if you say to me, let's go lift some weights, let's go do some heavy ass squats. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's so much better for my mental. Yeah, 
you know what I mean? Yeah. No. I don't, what, what's it like for, for, for women? Do you have a group chat yourself or do you do you know anyone who has? So, or? so for me personally, I find that, because like you said, like men like to sort of offer like the five-step plan of how to get over the problem. For me personally, and I can't speak for other women, like this is just me personally, mm-hmm. I find that when I get things off my chest, so say if we have like a girly group chat or I just want a rant and I just want to get it out. Once I've had my rant, I know how to fix my own problem. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when men, in, which comes from a completely like benevolent place. Sometimes it just gives you clarity as well though, I yeah, think. Yeah, um, and they come from like a totally benevolent place. And so when men try to be like, right, well, here's what you do to fix a problem. You, not me personally, but I think the tendency for some women is to think they don't trust me to solve my own problem. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's like, I just need to get this off my chest. And once it's out, they have then got the clarity to go right okay like i know how to proceed yeah so i feel like it's it's a, such a multifaceted thing like um yeah men tend to act like this or women tend to feel like this but this is why we need open conversations this is why we need <clears throat> conversations between men and women like what me and you are doing now needs to happen more like there's two major parts of society that yeah. aren't talking to each other and that needs to that needs to change yeah 100 percent. so in terms of um, going back to the ADHD thing, because you yeah. kind of went on a tangent. Uh, what sort of treatments are available for someone like that? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, you've been through some of the process yourself. Like, what is yeah. some of the treatments that are available? What do you personally recommend trying mm-hmm. for someone who, you know, is listening to this, who is neurodivergent, mm-hmm. who has autism or ADHD, whatever's yeah. on the on that yeah. list of uh, disorders? Would you say? Yeah, I mean, what is the word? Because I felt bad saying disorders. Disorder. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, I know I highlighted this um, in my talk, but disorder. In order for something to be a disorder, it needs to have like, um, like a, a major impact in your life. Like it needs to impact you to the point where you're struggling to function on a daily basis. But disorder for me is almost like you're struggling to do things that society deems normal like that you need to do whereas for me i see it as a difference but i'm not like i said in my speech i'm not disabled by what's up here i'm disabled by what's in my environment like my environment is not good for me um so i've done another adhd thing i've gone off on a tangent what what treatments are available so so I'm on um, I'm on medication and mm-hmm. I'm very, very open about the fact that I'm on medication. I feel like medication is such a stigmatized thing. And even though it's getting better, I feel like in the self-help world, it's almost like an elephant in the room that no one wants to talk I could, about. I would agree. Yeah, yeah, because for me, this might be a controversial statement. If you have a condition or a mental illness or disorder or whatever it is that can be treated by medication and you don't take it mm-hmm. but you also don't do anything to take the place of the medication yeah. that is a form of self-harm yeah in, in my well, opinion yeah interesting but because so, so for example just because i treat mine like i decided to go down the medication route which a hundred percent worked for me it was almost as if someone took my old brain out and put a new brain in right me with old brain would not be able to like sit talking to you here now um and i wouldn't have been able to go as far as i have at work um, without it um 
but for those that don't decide to go down the treatment route it's not it's one of those things where like just because if you don't want to take medication that is absolutely fine like that's yeah. your choice but you need something to replace that yeah um yeah. so exercise like that is exercise is such a huge thing and for adhd people specifically or anyone that struggles with dysregulation high intensity exercise is a huge thing like exercise to the point where your muscles become exhausted like your brain is going to really spike with dopamine and that is going to last throughout the day it's going to sustain you throughout the day yeah so you want some dopamine go do a 90 kilogram squat or 100 kilograms yeah. that will that will that yeah. will give you a dopamine spike yeah 100%. no 100 um things like breath work and, and obviously meditation is beneficial for all people but i'm talking deep breath work like mm-hmm. ve- like an hour-long session of breath work and really focusing because that can that stimulates dopamine in your brain because your brain mm-hmm. is almost in like an altered state of consciousness so that is a huge thing learning how to work with your adhd that is a huge thing as well so one thing i always say to people is that because you have to go through an unlearning process because for, for the longest time until i was diagnosed i was convinced that i was broken in some way mm-hmm. i was like i'm lazy that's another thing i don't don't, there's no such thing as lazy that's 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 a very controversial opinion unmotivated exists i think i would even go one step further and say just lack of energy yeah but you have to create energy yeah first and it's and again it's a dysregulation of energy Mm -hmm. right so if you know that your energy is going to spike at a certain time during the day work with it if you know that your energy tends to spike later on at night right fuck going to bed at the time where everyone else does if your energy spikes at that time make the most of it make adjustments to your environment work around it Mm -hmm. because if you don't you're going to burn yourself out so that's why i always say people with adhd we struggle with consistency because our energy levels are totally different from one day to another yeah so i don't go for consistency i I don't strive for consistency i strive for sustainability something that you can sustain so for example if I say to myself every every night before I go to bed, I'm gonna do a face mask and I'm gonna take all my makeup off and I'm gonna, um, you know, and I'm gonna wash my hair and I'm gonna do it all this like as a form of self care. If I say if I say to myself I'm gonna do that every night before bed, that's not gonna last more than a few days because my energy is gonna be totally different on different days. Whereas if I say to myself, at the very least, I'm gonna wipe all my makeup off before I go to bed. That's sustainable because mm-hmm. if I'm having a low energy day, I can do that. If I'm having a high energy day, like, oh, I can do a bit more. Is so, that not because, just uh, obviously <clears> correct <throat> me yeah. if I'm wrong, just side tangent. Is that not, if you were to say, I'm going to take my makeup off, rather mm-hmm. than, as opposed to, I'm going to take my makeup off and I'm going to do a face mask, is that not just because one is more you know, beneficial to your life? Like, you, you wouldn't <clears> sleep with makeup on. It's probably not a good idea for you or no, for a woman. No, or uh, Versus, you could potentially go without doing a face mask, but you can't go without taking your makeup off is that does that make sense does that, is that right? yes. is, it, is it is it because one's like almost mandatory one's like i don't even see it as man I, I mean i mean first off if if you're a woman like if you go to bed with makeup on obviously like it's not a good idea but i'm just talking about in terms of things that you want to do so for me i know that i should probably wash my face i know i should probably take my makeup off and do all these things before i go to bed mm-hmm. but if i can just set myself the bare minimum be like right at the very minimum I'm just going to take it off, right? Right. But not beat myself up over it if I don't because because my energy is so different and my attention is going to be different and my emotions are going to be different. Like, I can't predict from one day to the next what my energy is going to be like. Not beat myself up if I don't because neurotypical people, the neurotypical brain is designed to form habits. You know, you've heard that saying, like, it takes, was it, tw- 21 days to it's form a habit? It's 21 days. It's definitely oh, more. It's 100% like more than that. But yeah. yeah. But dopamine plays a part in that. 
because you get a dopamine hit every time like you do something yeah whereas with an adhd brain because we have a dysregulation of dopamine it is not as easy for us to make habits there is a hundred right if, if you're adhd and you try to make a habit there is a 100 percent relapse rate and it's just accepting you are going to relapse you are mm. going to have a day where you don't do it and it's picking yourself up and go oh i can get back on that thing that i was doing right? yeah it's not yeah, beating yeah. yourself up over well, well one one thing i was told the other day actually and i really loved um i'll share with you as well is um a lot of people say it's a constant battle to do this it's a constant battle yeah i'm a constant battle with myself right yeah. change the language to it's an ongoing effort mm-hmm. yeah and that really that i heard that and i was like oh <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Really I'm useful. really glad you brought that up because if there's one thing that I've started to do is that because your subconscious brain, I mean like a really good friend of mine, Nina Kundi, shout out Nina if you're watching this, who, who is absolutely incredible. She taught me one thing was that the subconscious brain doesn't know right from wrong. Whatever you feed it, it will look for because to keep you alive it's a reticular activation system yeah, as well, yeah. the ras yeah you put it a lot more sophisticated than what i did yeah, the ras is it's is basically selective focus it's what you feed it yeah. like if you yeah. if you if someone says to you look for red cars you're probably gonna look for red yeah. cars it's like when you start seeing like you start thinking about a certain thing and you mm-hmm. just start seeing it everywhere yeah and, like, and yeah. you'd be surprised like how much of your language which can be unintentional feeds into your subconscious oh, brain yeah. so so one thing that i've stopped doing and this is something really really simple when i'm finding something hilarious i've stopped saying oh i'm dying or oh, i'm dead and it's so su- it's such it's such like a stupid little thing but like i said the subconscious brain doesn't know you're joking your yeah, subconscious brain yeah, yeah. doesn't know right from wrong so then your brain is going to look for symptoms that you're dying so like if you say oh <laughs> i'm dying you're going to feel in your body like you are dying yeah so yeah. instead i'll go oh it's just to say if you told me hel- a hilarious joke like i'll go oh i am living for that and it's mad. It's such a stupid little thing that works. Um, but it's almost like... It just uh, changed the mood yeah. in the room when you... Yeah, s- yeah it does. It definitely mm-hmm. does. We say something in the gym as well where get people, people go, I'm starving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm s- it's like, are you? Are yeah. you a child in Ethiopia? <laughs> yeah. Are you fucking starving? Yeah. Or are you yeah. just a little bit hungry because you haven't eaten yeah. in a couple hours? You know what I mean? Yeah. It is, it, language yeah. plays a massive part. No, no, I, I totally agree. And like, you can almost, um, so almost do the flip thing. So like, for example, if there's one thing I've always said to myself to stop doing, because I understand why people do it. But I remember when I first, when I was first diagnosed and I started recognizing why I did the things that I did because mm-hmm. of ADHD, I would almost try and overcompensate and over explain. So my partner would be like, oh, why haven't you done the dishes? I'd be like, oh, sorry, it's my ADHD. Which is a reasonable explanation, but then I did it to the point where it's like, oh, sorry, I did that, it's my ADHD. And it got to the point where, because I'm telling myself I do this because of my ADHD, it almost becomes like, oh, I like the colour blue because of my ADHD. And so it's a really hard balance to, because you need to recognise, yes, some things you are going to struggle with, because Mm -hmm. in my case, I have ADHD. But you need to find the balance between like not burning yourself like like understanding your limits understanding what you do as yeah. a result of what you have so if i had no knowledge of what i was like of what my struggles are i'm gonna burn myself out completely whereas if i tell myself i can't do this because of my adhd yeah. I, i'm like I'm, I'm not gonna get out of bed yeah, so the way yeah. i'm almost looking at it is is that just because you can't do something perfect, it doesn't mean it's not worth doing at all. Yes, mm-hmm. some things I am going to really struggle with because my ADHD, like, and th- things like spreadsheets. I'm fucking terrible at spreadsheets. I don't know about you. It's funny, Yvonne, when she was yeah. in that church, she was like, I love spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> but just because I'm bad at it and because I know I struggle at it doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Like, doing something badly 
is better than not doing it at all. And that's a really hard thing for a yeah. neurodivergent well, perfe- person. To perfection doesn't perfection. exist. I, uh, my friend uh, Luca Daniel, shout out to Luca, used to always say to me, "Is like perfection is the lowest standard." Because mm-hmm. for most people who are who claim to be perfectionists mm-hmm. are just procrastinators in disguise. Yeah. Because perfection doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and it just stops you from doing anything. Mm-hmm. Done is better than perfect. Yeah. It for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, t- I totally agree. I think think for me as well. Like I had to stop. I had to stop looking at the things that I struggled with as a moral failure. Like mm-hmm. there's there's this very sort of undercurrent. Like if you can't keep your space tidy and if you can't do the dishes, if you can't tidy your room and if you can't do this, it's seen as a moral failure. And it's not. It's about making your space work for you. So for example, if you work better knowing that the dishes are cleaned and that the living room's tidy and all of this, great. Yeah. But if you don't, because I, I, I struggle with something called object permanence, unless something is in my immediate periphery, it may as well not exist. If I'm not looking at the dishes in my head, the dishes don't exist, right? If it's not visible, so, you'll forget. <laughs> so it's about having like self-compassion for mm-hmm. yourself. I realise I've just gone on for a million different tangents there. Thank you, go on. That's good. But uh, yeah, so the one thing that, um, and we'll kind of we'll kind of wrap with this, because yeah. I know this is one of the main things that we want to talk about, yeah. was um, workplace. Yeah. So mental health, neurodiversity yeah. in the workplace. Yeah. Obviously, that's a big part of what you're aiming to do now yeah. is sort of change the way yeah. we see neurodiversity yeah. in the workplace, make it more accessible. Yeah. Is that the right word? Accessible for yeah. people with yeah, neurodiversity. Absolutely. So what do you think, um, first of all, in the workplace needs to kind of change in your view for, mm-hmm. to, for neurodivergent people to better adapt mm-hmm. to the workplace? What needs to kind of change? Okay, so... Not necessarily what needs to change, like not necessarily like a massive overhaul of what the traditional workplace is, but making adjustments for people who are struggling and not seeing them as being given special treatment. So, for example, one of the adjustments that I have at work is that if I go for an interview, I have to have the interview questions in advance Mm -hmm. and and. I can already I can already tell like the cogs turn in people's minds to go like oh well it's an unfair advantage, and I'm like well no it's not because and I'll tell you why because the average person in an interview I mean interviews are stressful as like as they are but like say for example a neurotypical person can perform a seven out of ten in an interview on a good day right on a good day I can I can perform at a three out of ten mm-hmm. with interviews because it requires a lot of recalling a lot of complex information at the drop of a hat which and as you can tell from this podcast i've gone off tangent many a time so it's really podcasts do it's, that yeah, it's really difficult to stick to one thing especially the question so an adjustment helps so people might think oh well you having the questions in advance that would take you from a three to a ten and it's an unfair advantage it's like it's not if everyone else is at a seven this takes me to a seven hmm. as well when i'm a three so it makes it an equal playing ground because equality and equity are two different things because if you treat everyone the same you know the level at which they're at are all going to raise but they're still going to be different yeah, yeah so yeah. you're trying to sort of level it out so for me if i'm in a meeting at work because like i really struggle with like auditory information so if i'm saying a team's meeting with someone um and they're giving me instructions to do a task or they say like can you go away and do this but like yeah yeah no problem as soon yeah. as our team's call is over it's yeah. gone like it's completely gone so one of the adjustments i have is that my manager sends me like a follow-up bullet point list of all mm-hmm. the things that i need to do because when i've got something physical there it's something concrete it's not abstract like the memory of what was said so i'm guessing i'm guessing you can't make notes at the same time as listen is that something no. that you write because because I, t- I tell you why because if i'm on a team's meeting with someone and i'm trying to like take in what they're saying 
like I can't multitask to yeah, save my life yeah. because then it's almost like right do you want me to focus on taking the notes or do you want me to focus on what you're saying like right, it's yeah, really yeah, really yeah. hard to do yeah. both and at the same time I'm making sure am I making eye contact enough am I like doing all the social cues right am I like nodding my head am I doing this um and so sometimes in the moment it's easy to pay attention and you absorb it in the moment but then afterwards it's like oh crap because recall is is a big problem um Sometimes as well, I find this not so much for me, although I do struggle with it to an extent, autistic people, because they tend to take things literally. And and I mean that in the sense that neurotypical people, when they talk to each other, they can sense the intuition or the intention behind like what they're saying, whereas mm-hmm. autistic people often struggle with that. But take it a face value, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So, so, for example, say, I mean, I'm not being diagnosed as autistic, but say, for example, if I was and someone said to me, like, oh, can you take the dog out? I'd be like, yes, I can as in I have the ability to take the dog out. (laughs) But what they're actually saying is, would you mind please taking the dog out? And so in interview questions, like interviews in particular, if you ask an autistic person, like, oh, tell me a bit about yourself. The intention behind that is like, oh, tell me about the traits and the skills and the experience that you have to fit the role autistic person's not going to say that. Like, I like Game of Thrones. Yeah, which is exactly what I've done in interviews, by the way. so it's being direct with communication. It's being direct about what's expected because um, because autistic people, ADHD people, neurodivergent people in general communicate very, very differently to neurotypical people. Mm-hmm. I think for ADHD specifically, as a, as a manager, and this is this is going to be a tough thing for some people to hear, is like, do not expect someone with ADHD to be at the top of their game for eight hours a day. Like, all throughout the day, they're going to have I'll just interject. I don't think anyone should be expected to be at yeah, the best no, for eight no. hours a day. I mean, that's uh, fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, the human brain can only focus continually for about three hours. And my brain starts to die at about three o'clock. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, so, and I just think the modern workplace in general, even for neurotypical people, is is difficult um because we as a species have not evolved to and, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about is the word sedentary sedentary, sedentary. Job? yeah, yeah sedentary down job. yeah office jobs we as a species have not evolved to sit down in front of a screen and type for eight hours a day yeah. go home have what five six hours spare time go to sleep wake up and do the whole thing over again um so this is why i'm such a big advocate of things like the four-day working week because like a lot of people are gonna like listen to this and think like our four-day working week like it means like people are gonna slack off like they're not gonna do the job if anything it helps because they've got an incentive because they tend to be more well rested they have more time off the more motivated to do the things that they want to do yeah, yeah, yeah. work so if, if you think about this in terms of history i'm a history student obviously so i love history um so industrial revolution Mm -hmm. right so peak of the industrial revolution you were expected to work 20 hours a day and there's 24 hours in a day so you're expected to work for 20 hours and have four hours sleep right so you were having like what a hundred day week right so that was what like mid 1800s fast forward to like a hundred years after it then went down to the 40 40 hour working week Mm -hmm. which is what a reduction in 60 hours per week so now when i advocate for the four day working week so say for example if we went from 40 hours to say 30 hours a week that's only 10 less hours a week you know we went from 100 hours a week to 40 within Mm -hmm. a few hundred years like what's another 10 hours gonna do um so like it's a huge like we spend all of our time at work unless and this goes for self-employed people as well but i mean specifically for people who work office jobs and who work for an organization or a company like what i do 
like the fact that you're just expected to put your entire life like your entire energy into it which again like is expect like understand where it comes from but as a species we have not evolved to sit down no. in front of a computer screen for eight hours a day and then when people can't do that especially like neurodivergent people or people who have mental health issues we're seen as the disordered ones we're seen as the ones that are not normal because we can't do something that we have not evolved to do mm-hmm. um and like, because like I said, like we spend what like a third of our lives at work. So, for something that we're going to spend potentially thirty years of our life doing, is it not best to make it more manageable? <clears throat> yeah. Is it not best to like to so that you are being more productive? The the, pro- the problem I have, and and I'm quite um I don't know what you would would say skeptical or mm. or sort of nihilistic even yeah. about it. Yeah. Is um if you cut. Would it? Would you say when you say four day work, would you cut that? Is that in every sector in in most in the vast majority of jobs? Would that yep. be right? Yeah. So I would say probably if you did that, a lot of what we know as life would suffer because you need those people who are constantly you need the cogs and the, everything working yeah. like that. And unfortunately, some people need to fit in those roles. Yeah. I personally believe, and obviously it's quite like well, it's not a nice thing to say, yeah. but that's how things have run for yeah. for so long, and obviously no one knows what would happen if you change that yeah. really we're just guessing kind mm. of that was it is it sweden or somewhere like that sweden. that tried the the, the yeah. four-day work week and they've got good results from it mm. and i'm like ooh, an extra day off sounds yeah. great because i can do another podcast i yeah. can do something yeah, that i like great. i can fucking do that and yeah. um obviously the the way it worked sort of pre-50s was man went to work woman mm-hmm. stayed at home yeah. right and that worked fine when everything in the house was done and everything was mm. bought the shop mm. was done the house yeah. was clean etc etc and the man brought home the money mm. now you've got two people working mm-hmm. that chick in the house gets completely fucking yeah. thrown out the window because there's no the people aren't there all the mm. time like if you work like if both you and your partner work like you know eight hours a day a yeah. standard right plus like a couple hours commute yeah. or something like that the last thing you guys fucking want when you come in is to clean the house yeah, or do all exactly. the shit that you forgot exactly. about exactly. right and and that extra day would massively help mm-hmm. but on the other side if you've got a massive firm where people need access to, um, you know, we're already talking a lot of a lot of businesses who ring up now and they're still blaming COVID for understaffing. Yeah. Right, yeah. we're understaffed. Everywhere's understaffed. Yeah. Everywhere you ring up, understaffed. Right. Yeah. You cut that down to four day work week. Obviously, mm. you would have people work shifts. It wouldn't just be every fucking person yeah. in the country has a Thursday off. Yeah. Like, wouldn't work like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, you cut that down. A lot of businesses will probably suffer, and a lot of you probably get a lot of people would complain about mm. the very thing that they want the most, which is, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like well, if, if, if business, if say if your doctors went down to four days a week, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, your doctor's not in a day, but I really need to say, I'm sorry, the four day work week policy. It's yeah. like, there is going to be that sort of, people yeah, need stuff now. Like, yeah. oh, your Amazon Prime isn't going to come because we don't have delivery. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that's... No, no, and, and like, I, like, I totally understand where that perspective is coming from. Like, I totally get what you mean. But at the same time, it's like, when I say four day work week, I don't mean every single person in the country only work Monday, Tuesday, wednesday thursday because say if you have a firm or whatever business it is yeah. that you have you could have one person work and work and say monday tuesday wednesday thursday and you could have another person working thursday friday saturday sunday right mm-hmm. so you're not losing the support that your business needs to give especially if you're like a 24-hour uh, yeah, business yeah, yeah. or like emergency services or something like that but funnily enough um so there was a study done in america quite recently and i think they just took like i think it was like the f- I'm probably going to really butcher this study, I can't remember, but I think they took like the top 100 companies in the country, in America, and they trialed them with the four-day working week and said, right, we're going to do an experiment. All of you are going to trial the four-day working week for three months. 
And if it doesn't work, that's absolutely fine. You can go straight back to afterwards just to see what would happen. Yeah. 95 of them kept doing it afterwards. The productivity went up because um, because their employees were a lot more engaged and a lot more well-rested. They were then being more productive, engaging more, therefore producing more profit yeah. for the company. Um, because like you're not going to have happy customers without happy employees. Like That's the yeah, way that yeah, I look at it. Yeah, I agree. And, 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 and I think it's almost like a roll-on effect as well because like everyone is say for example if, if you're working like a nine to five monday to friday right and you're wrecked you're worn out and you need to ring up a utility company for example and um, because you need to complain about a bill right because you're exhausted and you know and you're overworked you are more like going to be really really snappy with that person yeah. and you're going to be and you're going to expect a hell of a lot more Whereas if you're someone who is working a four-day working week and you feel a bit more rested and things like that, you're not going to be as cranky with other, with those people, which then in turn are going to make them employees happier, which are going to make the customers happier. And it's like a real yeah, effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I totally understand the criticisms of like where it's coming from because people are almost like really scared of like rapid societal change, which to an extent like this would be, but it's, for the, but it's for the better. Yeah. I think people are often so scared of change that they're more willing to stick to something detrimental because it's what they're used to. Yeah, the devil he knows about and the devil you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, so um, I mean, to be fair, like we are like a, a fair way away from it. I mean, like private companies and private organizations have a lot more scope to do this because they have, because they make profit, they can stretch their budgets a bit more and they can operate a bit more freely than what public organizations can. So we are a, a fair bit away from getting that, but I'm, I'm very hopeful that we get there one day. Um, Especially with Carl Jackson at the charge. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Amazing. So listen, Carl, we are out of time for okay. this episode. So where can people find you if they want to contact you? Mm-hmm. Uh, to maybe just get you in to speak at their workplace. Okay. I'm going to push that. Yeah. Get Collar in to speak at your workplace. Your, yeah. <laughs> your employees will be more productive. They will be yeah. happier. And they can all talk about Game of Thrones afterwards. Of course, so, of course. Yeah. Where can people find you, Collar? Um, so I'm at Divergent Collar on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm just Carla Jackson dash neurodiversity educator on Facebook. Um, or if you want to email me directly, it's uh, divergentcarla at gmail.com. So. Yeah, incredible so Listen, i've learned so much from this oh, podcast <laughs> i've had my brain tickled i have They're learned good. a lot because this isn't something that i know a lot about yeah. so it's become uh, a lot of the things that i put forward today are things that maybe as you've heard me like he's one of those guys that uh, thinks this sorry no, he's, no, he's no, uneducated the fact so that you willn't have a conversation about oh, yeah, it makes makes all the difference yeah so. I'm, well, I'm willing to be proven wrong and the whole point of doing good. this podcast is i get to learn from the people yeah. that come yeah, on because yeah, yeah, there's no exactly. point in me going oh well i know this you just talk about this now sit back in my chair you know <laughs> there's no point in doing that like i want to yeah. learn something and uh, I think this has definitely been a valuable podcast. So thank you very much for coming no on, Carla. If you guys like this, obviously give Carla a follow. Check out email her as well. Just say, hey, loved it. You know, I'm sure she'll get back to you with a nice email as well. And uh, give this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And follow me on Instagram at Adam James Proud. I'm also on Facebook as well. Send me a friend request and I'll promise to be nice <laughs> as long as you like my shit. So until the next episode, guys, I'll see you all very, very soon. <laughs>